This week's episode of the Vellum News Podcast brought to you by Roll Massif, organizers of eight of Colorado's most iconic road gravel and mountain bike events. We're talking wild horse gravel, sunrise to sunset, elephant rock, copper triangle, crooked gravel, tour de vineyards, and tour of the moon. Some of these events have been going on for years and years and years, attract tens of thousands of participants. And uh, no matter if you're doing a road, a mountain bike, or a gravel one, you get a great post-ride festival. Um, here's what I really like about these Royal Massive events. They are awesome opportunities to expose kids to cycling events and get them hooked on the sport that we love. In fact, any child under the age of 18 rides for free at the road and gravel events. There's different distances, shorter distances that they can do. And they can do it for free. And right now, Rollmassive has a great deal going on. If you go to Rollmassive.com, R-O-L-L-M-A-S-S-I-F.com, uh, listeners of the Velvet Podcast can get 15% off uh, registration for event using the code VELONEWS15 at checkout. This expires June 1st. Again, Rollmassive.com. Use VELONEWS15 at checkout, and you can get 15% off registration for any event thanks so much to roll massive for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast okay let's get on with the show welcome back to the bonus podcast fred dreyer coming to you from a beautiful sunny tuesday in uh lafayette colorado just outside boulder the birds are chirping the sun is shining grass is not growing at my house. Um, I don't know about you. I have bit off a couple of home projects over the last few weeks. One of them is to been to reseed my lawn. Not working. I got a big mud puddle back there. If anyone has any uh, green thumb lawn tips, uh, feel free. Webletters at Um We have a great episode this week. I have two interviews that are going to take us inside some of the most recent pressing news in the world of pro cycling. The first interview is with Richard Pluga. Richard is the general manager and director of Team Yumbo Visma. And Richard has uh, some very informed perspective on the new UCI calendars that uh, we talked about last week here on the podcast. Um, he also has some really interesting insight on the coronavirus itself because he um, fought off a case of coronavirus. He was in the hospital for like two, almost two weeks. He battled it for six weeks. Um, Richard is one of the you know most knowledgeable people in the world of pro cycling right now, and he has some really interesting perspective on the entire situation. Second half of the show, I link up with Ellen Van Dyke. Ellen is a Dutch rider, one of the stars on Trek Segafredo women's team. And you know when the news came out last week that the women's world tour calendar had a female edition of Paris Roubaix. Ellen was the first rider I thought of. She is a bona fide cobble crusher. She's won Tour of Flanders. She's the two-time defending champion at um, Dwarves Tour of Flanders in one of the harder cobblestone races. And she's just a real specialist when it comes to that style of racing. So I linked up with uh, Ellen to talk about Pyro Roubaix, what it means for the women's calendar. Um, and like, how do you, you know, like really what is it? How do you race over cobblestones? If you get her take on that. Um, before we get to that, uh, some housekeeping stuff. Um, our latest issue of Villain News Print Magazine is on newsstands now. It just came out. I could not be more proud of this issue. It is the annual um, women's issue. And we took a deep dive this year into women's youth development programs. Um, we have a wonderful photo on the cover of a NICA 
race. And uh, Betsy Welch did just a phenomenal job writing about um, NICA and another grassroots program called The Cycle Effect, digging into the strategies, the philosophies, the ways to get young girls involved in cycling at an early age, not necessarily racing, but just cycling and riding bikes and building community and creating mentorship and creating programs and pathways to help uh, get more girls involved in cycling because, um, you know, look, everyone looks at the participatory numbers of cycling in the United States and can see that it's a heavily um, male uh, participant, you know, just a lot more male participation than female participation. And there are some really passionate and smart people working behind the scenes in grassroots programs out there to try and reverse that trend. And uh, Betsy does a great job of bringing that to life. Um, it is the Velo News June issue cover line. Yes, she can. Nika on the cover. Um, I definitely recommend all of you pick it up. It's I know it's a bit of a different type of issue for us. Usually, you know, there's a nice pro cyclist winning a race on the cover. Um, but hey, Nika on the cover. I could not be more proud of that. Uh, okay, let's get to Richard Pluga. Then we'll hear from Ellen Van Dyke. And again, thank you for listening to this week's episode. The entire cycling world has spent the last few months struggling to deal with the coronavirus pandemic, and nobody has had a more intimate relationship with the virus in the cycling world than Richard Pluga. Pluga is the managing director of Team Jumbo Visma, and like every other World Tour team manager, he has spent the last months leading his team through the unknown period of the shutdown. Uh, Pluga is also a recovered coronavirus patient. And in early April, he revealed that he had spent six weeks battling the illness, even spending two weeks in the hospital. Richard, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. I want to talk about the schedule that has been released by the UCI, how team managers and riders are viewing the schedule. But before we get to that, I really want to ask you about your own experience with the coronavirus. Um, take us through what it was like to have it, your uh, what it was like to battle it, and your recovery. Well, it was uh, really strange to have it, of course. I got a fever in the uh, beginning of March, and uh, it got higher and higher. And, and uh, <clears throat> it was in the beginning of March. So in Holland and in, uh, in this uh, part of the world, we did not know exactly what was happening. So uh, they could not really um, give me the, yeah, the real clue if it was corona or not. Uh, but after a week of high high fever, I was uh, I was uh, hospitalized, and and then they did the test, and I had a positive for for, for corona. And um, actually, I was eight days in the hospital um, with some some oxygen. I was not on the intensive care happily, but uh, uh, I was there for eight days in isolation. And uh, after uh, let's say eight days, I I went back home and had to. To recover, to recover there, and I have to say that, yeah, it was going fast after that, getting better and better every day. But uh, still, I'm struggling a bit with my uh, my condition. You know, I'm still not at the cycling uh, um, and sportive uh, condition I'm I'm used to be. So, uh, and it's now phew, it's now eight eight weeks ago, I believe, that I got out of the hospital. So it's really a long. It's a strange virus. It's a strange fever, and. Uh, um, I have to say that I've never experienced such a, a heavy disease or heavy um, a fever in my life. So it's really, uh, really bad. 
Yeah, I mean, we've read about the diseases, fever, the cough, the pain in the lungs and pressure in the lungs. I mean, did you have, did you suffer through that as well? You know, pain in the lungs, pressure in the lungs, uh, breathing well, problems? Actually, no, no it, it was, yes, yes, I had a, um, uh, how do you say that? A long, uh, uh, yeah, a long uh, fever, mm-hmm. but um, it was not, um, it was not as bad as, as many other people's on the intensive care had it. But still, yeah, you know, it's it's a complete, your whole body is, is aching and uh, it's, it's the lungs, it's uh, it's everything. And uh, um, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And again, I was not in the intensive care, so happily, uh, but but still I needed some, some oxygen and yeah, it's especially the fever, which is killing you. If, if you're there uh, for 14 days with uh, almost 40 degrees uh, uh, fever, it's it's uh, in the end of uh, after a couple of days, you're you're wrecked. You know, the, the, the energy is completely out of your body. And um, so that, that made it really hard. In looking at the ways that the sport has been planning its comeback and looking at its comeback, and you have also been talking to your team about coming back to racing. How do you think your experience with coronavirus has shaped your own perspective on how the sport can or should come back? Well, I think um, I made the decision uh, just when I had already a little bit fever. Um, I made a decision just before Paris-Nice and the Italian races not to go there because at that moment uh, I thought it was... uh, it was, there were too 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 much unknown uh, things, you know. Uh, there were not good procedures, to my opinion, in place um, to do it healthy and to bring a team to to Italy, especially Italy, uh, but also to France. So that's why we decided not to go to the Italian races, and afterwards they were cancelled. So that was a, was a good uh, good decision from us. Um, and then we also decided not to go to Paris Nice because the uh, the procedures and the measures were not what we uh, would ask for. And um, <clears throat> even though I, I did not know that I had Corona myself, I would I would do the same today because I believe that um, even though I had it, um, I think it's it it is possible uh, to race and it is. Um, but you 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 should have your your procedures and and measures and protocols uh, all in order. To make sure that you can do it uh, in a safe way, and uh, and prevent uh, the the health of, of all the people, not only the riders but also the yeah like like everybody knows around a, a team of eight riders, there's like twenty normally twenty twenty five people, uh, masseurs, uh, mechanics, ev- everything, um, and everybody should be safe and healthy uh, in a race. But again, if you do it in a proper way, uh, I think I still think it's it's possible. Yeah, and that's how it has always been my question throughout this entire ordeal is um, having been to so many bike races before my life, you know, you see these hotels and they're crowded with bike racers and soigneurs and directors and it's this traveling circus that goes from city to city to city and you read about the way the disease was spread and it seems like, oh my gosh, bike racing could be the the perfect way to, you know, help spread this bug around um, uh, in a place. You know, when you did look at Paris-Nice and some of the protocols they did take, um, where did you feel like it was still lacking? Where did, what were some of the details around safety protocols that you would have wanted to see um, if you would have sent a team there? 
Well, at that moment, there there were uh, less uh, facts known than today. Uh, that's one. And and uh, what we wanted to to have in place was a testing uh, uh, possibility that that uh, if if somebody had a cough or something that we could that we could test uh, everybody. Um, <clears throat> what we would like to see is that that everybody is tested before they get in. Yeah, before they get into this group of, of people and uh, yes of course a normal race in a normal time is uh, is with a lot of a lot of people around it a lot of journalists a lot of uh, yeah, uh, visitors public and to my opinion <clears throat> you should bring that down to the to the to the minimum uh, uh, at least possible uh, people um, to make sure that, that the group around the peloton and around the race is as small as possible. And I think that was a good thing of uh, Paris Nice, that they practiced all, already more or less a little bit with that, uh, and that they've seen how you can keep this group as small as possible. But it would, to my opinion, be one of the, the big measures at this moment. Eh? We're, we're speaking on, uh, what is it, half of May, and... Uh, Maybe tomorrow the, the 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 disease is gone, or maybe it's coming back really hard again. Uh, so we have to uh, talk in scenarios that that uh, are alike of today. Mm-hmm. And today, I would say uh, we should have a, a small as small as group as possible uh, around the the race, which is tested uh, where safety measures are in place. Where uh, how do we get if somebody gets it during the race? How can we get him out? How will he uh, be uh, uh, brought home or out of the race? You know, it's it's all all kinds of these questions you should put on paper. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, uh, and I know that that uh, the cycling world is is working on this, of course. And we have some examples here in Europe where where the the football uh, in in Germany, for example, the they also have all kinds of measures in place where we can learn from if they work or not. And they play without audience, without public in the stadiums. Well, all these kind of measures would help us to uh, to at least race and and get to the start line and just uh, battle on the on the streets again. Mm-hmm. You know, Richard. A week ago, the UCI released the schedule, the tentative schedule for 2020, and we saw that a lot of you know the the major races are packed in for. August, September, October, and a bit of November with the Tour de France running the end of August through September. Some overlap between the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta España and the classics sprinkled in there as well. What were your initial reactions and your initial opinion of this schedule when it was released? Well, the initial initial was uh, really happy that there is a calendar. And um, uh, we also, I, I, I'm also part of the board of the AIGCP, the, the team's uh, organization. Um, and we said to each other that, uh, you know, it's up to the, to the organizations and the UCI to find a, a great uh, um, calendar as much as, as possible. Uh, because, you know, it's also their survival and it's, it's not up to us to, to, to make it difficult for them. Uh, because we think that that in the end of the day, uh, the authorities are uh, the ones who are deciding whether or not it is possible to race, and it's not up to us, not not up to the cycling world to decide and or battle over a calendar which might or might not uh, get in place in the end of the day. 
Um, so we were, yeah, my initial thought was, okay, really happy that we can, we can race and, you know, we, we will fit it in as much as possible. And, uh, I think we, we have to, to work in, in lines as we call it. So, um, you know, one, one group of riders will, will follow one line and stay together with, with, with the staff and everyone to keep the, the group, uh, yeah, uh, solid for, for, uh, all these months and, and make that, uh, a, a one family more or less. And, and that's the way we are looking at it. And, and it's, it's, it's really, really, uh, uh, important for cycling that all these races, uh, or at least, uh, a lot of them will happen in the end of the year. So it was, a it's a calendar of hope and expectation. Like, like it, it fits with cycling. Huh? It's a, the, the cycling is the, the sport of the hope and expectation. And everybody is always waiting for the riders to come, uh, standing along the road and waiting, waiting, waiting. And yes, there they are. Uh, well, that's that's here. We are waiting now for the for the starting signal. What level of input or communication did the teams have with the UCI as this and the race directors or the you know the race promoters as the schedule was being put together over the last few weeks? Were they asking for your input? Were they keeping you updated with some of the um, the thoughts and opinions on where to put the races? Yeah, um, like I said, uh, we were uh, part of the the group that that decided uh, about this, and again, the teams did not really, um, yeah, put in a lot of. Uh, we we did not discuss anything on 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 the on the races, on the places, on uh, who's where on the calendar, and and everything like that. Because for us, it's yeah, there was something between the UCI and the organizations, but now we are talking uh, about the health measures and the safety measures, and that. That's that's the next step of this. You know, the, the first one was not a discussion where we should be involved in in the first place, because everybody needs racing, and uh, we want to race, and we think it is possible. And but now is the next step to to make a really a good plan to to uh, which we can give to the to the authorities as well, uh, to show them that we have found a way to uh, to also make it happen. And that's the next step. So that will come in the, in the in the coming weeks probably. And I think that's a really interesting and important point to get forward about this is that none of these races happen if the governments and the authorities feel that it is unsafe or that the plan or that the protocols that the race organizers are going to follow don't adhere to, you know, the safety plans that they feel will keep the populace and the riders safe. So now the real test is on. Um, the cycling world to come up with protocols and plans that they feel will ensure safety. So in some of these discussions you've been having, what are some of the elements and details that you feel should be included in the safety plans that, that you feel w will will keep riders, fans, and everyone safe? Well, like I said earlier, um, first of all, it's uh, we are talking today and, and maybe in three months time, the world is completely different, either in a positive way or in a negative way. Uh, but if we would race today, if, if there would be a race today, then then uh, to my personal opinion, it should be uh, without a public along the road uh, with uh, probably uh, testing before we we get into the race, um, all kinds of things like that, and especially uh, the smaller the group, the better it is. The, the group of people around uh, the race, so uh, less less journalists, less uh, organizational people, less people from teams. Um, 
so less stuff um, to to make it happen because you know everybody it's really important that it will happen so uh, and everybody uh, in the calls with uh, with the UCI and, and the organizers and the, and the riders everybody's at the same page you know everybody understands that today um, maybe we have to make some sacrifices to to make it happen and um, it's more important that it happens than that everybody is satisfied with everything um, so you know everybody's really yeah uh, working together and that's that's good to see uh, because it's sometimes uh, different in cycling but now uh, everybody's at the same page because everybody knows it it sh- it should happen it, it have to happen um, this calendar yeah and i feel like we've read some elements uh, on various cycling news websites that really highlight this you know the news came down today that ccc will be withdrawing at the end of the year the riders will be bidding paid half of their salary um alexander vinokurov team astana came out and said that if no racing happens this year that astana will absolutely fold um, in your conversation with other team directors and team managers, how serious is the situation, the, the potential for no racing? I mean, in your perspective, what impact would that have on the world tour teams, on many world tour teams? Well, I think you you just gave the answer. If if uh, you know if if two 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 uh, teams are mentioned, uh, the ones you mentioned, and they said it themselves already. Uh, that's the risk we all face and and it's not only for cycling it's for every sport it's for every company uh, nobody knows where this will end up uh, if if this whole corona crisis is is uh, dragging on for some mon- months longer than it than than yeah than we all think now um also here in in holland there's the, the football is also really difficult which is a big sport uh, and and they they will not play until uh, september they will have a big problem if it if that stop is prolonged for longer, and the same counts for cycling, so it's yeah, it will be um, hard hard discussions with everybody, all the sponsors and everybody. If we do not race this year, um, on the other hand, yeah, you know, I also see it. There might also be possibilities to to look at uh, how can we how can we do it better in the in the future because it's it's also now a moment to think. Um, first of all, of survival and, and stay healthy, but second, maybe think of uh, looking at a, at, a, at a better future because now the vulnerability of this sport uh, is really clear and it's it's open in uh, on the table and everybody understands that and every organizer understands that they need the teams and every team uh, understands that they need the organizers. So yeah, it might open up also some discussions, hopefully later, not today, but later, uh, to, to look at a brighter future. Is Jumbo Visma one of those teams that could go away if there was no racing in 2020? I think uh, not. I think we have uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, good sponsors. We have uh, uh, strong sponsors. Um, um, we, uh, we have to look at um, uh, yeah, at the future. We have a long-term relationship with them. Uh, we also have a speed skating team here in, in Holland. So it's a 365 days a year uh, sports team. It's not only cycling. So um, I think there's, uh, um, of course, we will have discussions if there's no racing at all this year. But uh, I think our future is uh, is uh, is bright. Well, that's really good to hear. I mean, 
with all the news coming out about the various teams, even uh, Lefebvre talking about uh, de Kooning Quickstep potentially being in trouble. I mean, you look at some of these major teams, these bedrock teams of the sport and potential for them being in trouble. And um, like you said, I mean, it's, it's an urgent situation. You know, Richard, I've read some criticism of the um, schedule saying that it's trying to do too much. There's too many races in there. It's emphasizing quantity instead of quality and that the sport should actually just focus on maybe three, four, five big races to try to get them done instead of um, putting all of the major races as well as some of the one-week World Tour races, Tirreno Adriatico, for example, on the calendar. Um, what's, your, what's your feeling around uh, the potential for this being too many races? No, I don't see. Uh, I don't see it that way. I, I see it uh, the other way around. You know, if, if you want to organize a race, you you should not start organizing it a week before. So you should start today. And we've already seen that. Uh, for example, on the calendar is also the uh, the national championships, to to name a, uh, an example. And um, uh, the national championships in Holland are impossible. It's announced today that they will be they will be cancelled. So the, the quantity might be less than we think today uh, um, in August and, and September. Um, so, you know, maybe the, this will happen automatically that, that there will be less racing than we think today. And for me, it's really important that, that um, the, the governments are behind the plans of the Italian, French and, and Spanish races, because then they can start working, organizing it. And like I'd, I'd like to say that um, um, organizing it costs you a couple of months and, and cancel it is only five seconds. So, uh, yeah, maybe uh, we will um, we will see some cancellations later of, of some races. And I think that will happen. But uh, it, it is today. It is, you know, like I said earlier, uh, uh, we should be really happy that there is a big calendar and there are so many races that are still apparently um, willing to organize this race and, 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 uh, and putting this effort in there and having their, uh, the, the consent of their, uh, their authority. So I, I see it different. And um, I think it's a good uh, remark for the future. Like I said, um, if, if you get out of this uh, crisis with, with something, then this is a good remark for the future, not to bring too much uh, uh, races in the calendar for the years after this year, but now it's a crisis and everybody needs racing. So uh, let's be happy with as many races as possible in the calendar, and we will see in the end of the day that that there will be some cancellations uh, coming up. You know, Richard, the traditional calendar, um, especially as it builds towards the Giro d'Italia and the Tour de France, there are these build-up races, these natural periods for altitude camps, these opportunities for athletes to really get themselves in tip-top uh, racing fitness. Um, when you look at the current calendar, I mean, there's no – a lot of those opportunities are gone. Um, how do you see the performance plans being altered, especially for Tour de France riders? How do you see a performance plan what, – what, what will a performance plan look like for a rider who's trying to be as strong as possible for the Tour de France? Well, it would be good, for example, for the Tour de France to, to, uh, to race in, in the Dauphiné. Um, but nowadays, uh, the, the last years you see that, that cycling also is like, like other sports, but cycling also is more and more, uh, a training sport. So, uh, less racing sport, less races 
the, the, the top riders need less races than, than uh, earlier uh, to be in top shape. We can, we can train them uh, better nowadays to get the top level without uh, much racing. Even better, it's, uh, it is better sometimes to, to not race that much before uh, such an, uh, a race like the Tour de France, uh, three weeks in the highest uh, level of performing, but also the pressure, the, the stress, the, the, the traveling. Um, so we, we already, uh, our, our top riders already do not race that much uh, a year um, to be as good as possible in the, in, the, in the top races like the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia. So um, for us, it's uh, it's not a big problem that there are not uh, like you say the, the line towards a big big goal as the Tour de France. Uh, but we are also happy that, for example, Dauphiné uh, can be normally as, as it looks like now uh, can be raced. So yeah, but uh, you know if it's not organized, then everybody has the same uh, the same problem. So yeah. We, we will all start with the same feeling in the legs. Yeah, and I think a lot about the importance of the altitude camps in the last few years and being able to go to high altitude to get those big training blocks in. But if the international borders are not open or travel to altitude is not available, what that means for riders who are living at altitude in Colombia versus riders who are living at sea level in the Netherlands or in France and how that could impact the performance of the riders in the race as well. That could be a really interesting, uh, almost like an experiment. Yeah, but uh, the, the biggest experiment is to see if somebody from Colombia, from a high altitude, can come into Europe. And uh, <laughs> then, uh, you know, if he's not uh, able to come into Europe uh, for whatever reason, then the sea level uh, training of a, of a Dutch guy uh, is always better. No, but... Uh, yeah, we have to see that, but uh, I'm, I'm sure and I'm certain that we can, uh, even as a Dutch team, can be at high altitude uh, training uh, uh, before um, before the Tour de France. So that I, I do not worry about that. And I think everyone who will be a contender for the for the final victory in the Tour de France will will have his training camp uh, in high altitude uh, because there are so many possibilities uh, for us to do. So uh, I, I'm not worried about that. Does this new schedule? change the season goals for um, your two uh, big Grand Tour riders, Primoz Roglic and, well, three, Steven Kreuzwick and Tom Dumoulin. Do either, do any of the three, do they have their focuses or targets changed now? No. No. No, we have the same uh, target and uh, <clears throat> with the Tour de France. So that, that's, that was our big goal and that is our, still our big goal. Well, Richard, I really appreciate you making time to talk with us today and again i um i can't even imagine what it was like to have to go through the sport being shut down the races being stopped and then finding out that you too have uh coronavirus i can only imagine it was a very difficult uh time for you but i'm i'm very glad to see that you've made it through it and that you have optimism for the sport going forward Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm an optimistic guy, and it, it was a hard period, a hard time, a hard period. But uh, thank you uh, for your thoughts of me. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 back. So uh, you know, and uh, I'm I'm sure that cycling will be back as well. 
You may have gone to velonews.com and seen our new website design, beautiful photos, cool layout, great way to index the stories. I want to call your attention to something totally new with our website. If you are on the homepage, velonews.com, click in the upper right-hand corner. You're going to see a button that says join. This is going to allow you to personalize your feed of information. You may know that Velo News is part of the Pocket Outdoor Media Group that also includes Triathlete Magazine, Podium Runner, and Women's Running Magazine. As it turns out, all of these magazines are churning out tons of content around racing, but also training tips, nutrition tips, recipes, travel tips. And if you've been reading VeloNews.com and you want to supplement your cycling content with, oh, let's say some recipe tips for food that's going to help power your training or some training tips about long endurance rides and runs or maybe some gear reviews about shoes, triathlon, um, other bike gear. This is a great way to do it. Again, VeloNews.com, click in the upper right-hand corner. It's totally free. You can personalize your feed. I personally think it's a great way to just nerd out in endurance sports all day long. So I say check it out, um, and thanks for reading VeloNews.com. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. Last week, the UCI revealed its preliminary calendar for 2020 racing for when the sport of pro cycling would come back from the coronavirus shutdown. And buried in the women's calendar was a gem, something that made a lot of people happy, which was the launch of a women's Paris-Roubaix. Now, this is something that um, cycling fans, female cyclists, team directors have been wanting for a long time. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about having a, a women's version of Paris-Roubaix. And so to see it on the calendar uh, brought a smile to a lot of people's faces. And when I saw this race on the calendar... I could only think of one person that I wanted to reach out to, and that is Ellen Van Dyke. Ellen is one of the best cobbled classics racers uh, in the world. Um, I got the chance to interview her after she won Dwarsdorf Landeren last year in Varagem with an amazing solo attack. And so Ellen joins us on the podcast. Ellen, my first question for you is, I mean, what was your reaction? What was your emotion when you heard that there was going to be a women's Paris-Roubaix? Well, my first reaction was a bit disbelief, I think. Um, I didn't see it coming. I think no, nobody really saw it coming. Uh, we put, we asked for it a couple of times already in the recent years, but, uh, but we never heard anything. And now all of a sudden we got a new race calendar and there was Paris Roubaix out of nothing. So, um, yeah, I was super happy also, but, but a little bit, uh, a little bit of disbelief. Yeah, that's interesting. So, like you said, there was no, there was no prior communication. Well, from ASO or the UCI of, hey, we might be putting up Paris-Roubaix. There was no no hints, no uh, communication about this race beforehand? No, no, I was a bit surprised by that. And um, yeah, we asked for this race already for many years. But yeah, um, the ASO was never um, really that much into women's cycling, I have to say. Uh, so, I mean, they didn't want to have live streams in the, in the big uh, the big spring classes, uh, classics and everything. So, um yeah, they didn't seem to be really uh, interested in the women's cycling, but now all of a sudden they, they came up with this uh, this little present for us. So, um, yeah, I think maybe they uh, they go in the, in the right direction towards the, the women's cycling also. You know, you've been in the sport for uh, more than a decade. I mean, what's the history of women wanting a Paris-Roubaix uh, throughout your career? Is that something that you can remember um, riders talking about back in 2007, 2008 when you just starting out or is that more of a recent occurrence 
Um, yeah, well, in the beginning, I never really heard of it so much. Of course, the men's race is always there and super uh, popular, and, and we speak about that. But then I think, yeah, somebody would say, like, oh, how cool would it be to have a women's version? But then I think lately, um, yeah, the, the women's cycling is more and more popular, and there's also more races being broadcasted, and you get more questions from other people, like, uh, is there ever going to be a party to wear for women? And, um, yeah, I think it's... It, in the last couple of years, actually, um, yeah, in my in my feeling, everything started to live more in the in the last five years, maybe. But um, yeah, I don't know if that's just my my perception or if that's really uh, really the thing. But uh, yeah, for sure, um, I think um, it was just a matter of time that that this class would be organized for us too. Have you ever gone and ridden some of the Paris-Roubaix sectors, uh, gone and trained on it, gone and seen what those cobblestones are like compared to the cobblestones in Belgium and the Netherlands? No, no, I've never been there. And I only heard uh, some horrible stories about it, that they are uh, much worse than the, than the, the stones in, in Flanders and the, the stones that we've ridden before. So I expect something really, really terrible, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as someone who has had success in the cobbles races, I mean, what's your advice for uh, how to ride the cobbles and how to survive them? What's the technique that um, you use when when riding over the cobblestones? Um, I usually ride one one gear bigger, and um, I try to have my hands loose on the on the handlebar and just push push hard. I mean, uh, if the faster you go, the the earlier it's over, and uh, yeah, the more the more power you push on the pedals, um, the easier it is to get over it. To not really um, sit or hang into your saddle because that that will hurt a lot and you bounce everywhere. But if you uh, push hard and you you're just a little bit above your saddle, maybe also, and that then it's easier to uh, to ride over them. You know, we've seen uh, a number of uh, ladies' races with cobblestones uh, come up on the calendar. I mean, when you look at Roubaix and you know it's flat and these really rough cobblestone sections do you think it will be similar to any of the races currently on the women's world tour calendar or do you think it will be a wholly a unique challenge yeah i think it's something really different and that there's almost uh, like a different discipline um i think you also need to prepare differently for it um yeah for sure the reckon and the material and everything is, is super important uh tire pressure things like that but yeah also, I really like it that people say uh, say my name like they say like oh yeah you must be really good at it but actually I've never done this so um, yeah I have the characteristics for it I think but I I also don't know because I've never done it before so uh, of course I ride cobbles but it's always just a couple of, of sections and, and not for such a long time so uh, yeah it will be uh, it will be interesting to see how how a race like this will unfold in the women's peloton. Yeah, I'm really interested to see it too. I mean, we see uh, the women's peloton attack different courses in different ways and we can see very tactical races and races with a lot of breakaways. And then, you know, some of the cobblestone races, I feel like they do become these real races of attrition where it's a matter of strength and of timing. And I, I think back to your victory at Duars this past year where it was this small group and you saw your moment and attacked and you know, just I, I don't know if anyone could have gone with you. I mean, how do you see how how do the dynamics of races in, in ladies cobblestone races tend to um, occur these years, knowing that there are a lot of strong cobble racers in the peloton? Um, yeah, normally it's, it's kind of um, a race where like every time people from the back are dropped. So 
Um, it's just because it's so hard, and in the end, it will be a small or smaller group in the front, um, like an elim- elimination race. And um, yeah, I think that's something that that works. For example, in my favor, like uh, I, I'm not the fastest, but um, if it's a, it's a really tough situation and you feel you are just a little stronger than than the others, then you need to uh, need to use that moment. And uh, in, if these moments, I'm always looking for these moments. Of course, I need to have good legs by myself, but also the races do not always have these opportunities. So um, it's the moments that I train for. I, I simulate it in training. But not every race um, gives me these opportunities to 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 uh, end up in a small group and then find the right moment to attack from that group. So, um, yeah, that that's a, that when it happens, it's it's normally a very special moment. Yeah. So, Ellen, the women's Paris-Roubaix falls on October 25th. It comes at the end of this revised um, racing schedule that begins in early August. We've seen the UCI. Um, totally change around the women's world tour schedule um, and, and release it. What are your what were your opinions and thoughts on the new schedule in general when it was re- uh, released last week? Um, well, uh, yeah, I was very happy to see all the big races in there. The, the yeah, so the championships and the yeah, all the all the, the spring classics actually, and these are my my main focuses. Normally in the season, of course, the Giro is also still in it, which is uh, which is really good. Um, but yeah, for me, all my most important races were in there, so that that made me really happy. But um, yeah, I saw they start in August with the Strada Bianchi, and I don't know if that's realistic. I mean, yeah, I, I don't really see that happening right now. But of course, I really really hope it's it's possible. But um, at the moment, I don't see how. But I I really hope it it will it will happen. Of course, but. Um, yeah, I'm also still a little bit skeptical. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the sport share your opinion on that. I was just on the phone with Richard Pluga, and he talked about how, well, you know, we have all of these races on the calendar, and it's very busy, and it's very smashed together. But in reality, we're just going to yeah. see which governments allow the races to occur, and whether or not um, any of these races uh, will will even take part. I mean... Are you? How are you viewing yeah. this from a performance standpoint? Are you looking at specific parts of the calendar to peak for? How are you catering your training now around uh, this calendar? Yeah, so far it's been most uh, most of the time just base training because yeah, we don't know when we are racing, and now we have a calendar. But to be honest, I still don't know. Uh, yeah, if I'm racing, then um, and yeah, you cannot prepare for it by now already. I mean, it's. Um, if it's August, then it's still uh, three more months, I think. Uh, May, June, July, August, yeah, around three months, I think. Um, so normally, if you are preparing for spring classics, they start end of February, so then it will be December now. So you're still not in a specific training uh, uh, zone. Um, so what I'm doing now is, is just base training and, and, and staying fit. And uh, yeah, also... Uh, when I have a day that I'm not super motivated, I, I don't do so much. But uh, yeah, I actually like to ride my bike, and the weather has been really good uh, lately. So I I, uh, I did quite a lot of training, and I enjoyed it most of the time. So so far, that's not, not a big deal. But it's yeah, of course, it's mentally hard that there's not a not a goal inside that there's not something for yeah something to really do it for, and that makes it just really less exciting. Like some days you feel just a little bit 
flattened or yeah, I don't know, like not excited because you think, yeah, well, okay, well, maybe I had a good training, but yeah, for what? Or yeah, it's, uh, I think a lot of people have it, uh, have these feelings in these days. Um, but yeah, that, that's a bit what's going on at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that, um, perspective from a number of the American riders that we interviewed, especially a number of the American riders who were looking forward to the Olympics, where that was their big goal and Olympic qualification and having all of these goals on the calendar and training very specifically for these races and, you know, um, with, with the larger goal around the Olympics. And once that was lost back in March and April, um, you know, it had a it had a big emotional impact on a lot of riders and yeah. things like motivation and things like what am I what am I training for what is my focus what is my purpose um, we I, I heard yeah. a lot of that perspective yeah yeah I think uh, yeah a lot of athletes struggle with these things and maybe other people also um, but yeah even some days you feel, you don't really feel like a like a like a rider anymore like yeah you are training but you don't you're not a yeah a racer at the moment so yeah, it feels sometimes a little useless. Like, yeah, well, I can go training, but if I don't do it, yeah, does it make a difference? Or yeah, it's, uh, and these things that, uh, of course, yeah, yeah, I also struggle with some days, and some days are really nice and easy, and some days I feel like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's just part of this period, and uh, yeah, once we really know where we can go racing, then for sure it's uh, it's all back to normal. Or not all back to normal, but the motivation will be back to normal. But I hope actually that the races are, um, yeah, also thinking in different ways because of course, um, yeah, we can keep thinking in the way that we, uh, that we used to race, like having races with public and audience and, and everything. But I really think that all the race organizers have, uh, have to be creative and, and really think in different ways to, to make it happen because if we, yeah, we for sure cannot just do the races like we like we used to do at the moment. So um, yeah, that they need to change something. Yeah, what do you tell yourself then on those days when you are hurting for motivation, when you need to a little something a little extra to get you out on your bicycle? What's the uh, the mantra that you tell yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's still, I mean, um, my big goal will be the World Championships. Um, the Olympics for next year, maybe. Um, yeah, and, and these things, like, there are still a lot of things that I can improve on, and, and I need to keep working on that. And um, I know that that, uh, that there is still room for improvement. So I if I really think about that and about being at my best, then I, I, will, I will do it. But, um, yeah, when I'm more tired or, yeah, when the weather is not so great, then, then it's easy to say, ah, today a little less, or today maybe not so much. Um, although sometimes it's also not too bad, maybe because I think a lot of athletes are used to uh, train too much. So maybe this is a now, a now a nice opportunity for some uh, mental and emotional rest. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's uh, it's an obligated rest, but uh, it doesn't have to be very uh, very bad. I think so. Yeah. Also, really try to take the positives out of it. Well, Ellen, so your big goals are uh, world championships, obviously the Ronde van Vlaanderen um, and some of these other classics. Where does Paris-Roubaix slot into your uh, your big goals for 2020? Yeah, so now it's uh, yeah from nowhere to, to the top of the list, actually. Um, so yeah, the, the world championships are still number one. And then um, 
Yeah, uh, actually, I think it, uh, it's now also above Flanders because it's a new race and I'm super excited about it and I really want to give it my best there. Uh, so I think it's, it's uh, next to the World Championships, it, it will be my uh, my biggest goal yeah, for, for the rest of the season if it's happening. <laughs> Great. Well, we will keep our eyes on you, Ellen, for at the Paris-Roubaix. And <laughs> like a lot of fans, I really hope that it does uh, take place. I think that it's something that, you know, we've heard a lot of discussion about for a long time. I mean, we heard from from ASO for a number of years that, oh, it's not possible. It's not possible to hold a women's, a ladies race at the same time. You know, it, it can't happen. And so to see it pop on the calendar was like, yeah. oh, well, well, maybe it is possible. Yeah, I wonder really how this came to, uh, how this, uh, on the calendar. I really don't know how the, uh, yeah, how, how it ended up being there. But anyway, it doesn't matter so much as long as it's there. But uh, yeah, I'm curious. Great. Well, Ellen, well, thank you so much for making some time for us today. And we will catch up with you later in the season when hopefully bike racing returns. Yeah, well, I hope so too. Thank you very much. <laughs>